ladies and gentlemen, uh, let's get ready to rumble! Yo, what's up? What's going on? What's good? Here we are, and this is the December 6th, 2021 episode of the Boxing Source Radio Show. This is James Bell, the leader of the Boxing Source on social media. You could follow us through Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook, and also through the YouTube channel uh, where you could uh, get boxing content, interviews, you could uh, get highlights from press conferences when we're you know, at uh, the fights, uh, sometimes when we are on assignment um, and, and other things like that. But, you know, here on this particular uh, episode, we're going to go over the action that happened over the weekend. And that there was lots of action uh, through the weekend, particularly uh, we're going to focus on the lightweight division as the lightweight division has pretty much been on the spotlight, you know, over these past few weeks in if you've uh, checked out the um, Twitter account, you know, we posted uh, multiple fights that have happened or, you know, are about to happen uh, here over 2021. And there's been a lot of fights there at 135 pounds in the year of 2021. And two of those fights were on the spotlight over the weekend as you had Devin Haney taking on Joseph Diaz Jr. And you also had Gravante Tank Davis facing Isak Cruz. And so we're going to be going over uh, both of these particular bouts in depth, um, you know, in, in kind of like decipher uh, what was happening over the course of the fight. Uh, I think that, you know, it was, uh, you know, two uh, fairly good bouts. Uh, that we had over in, in the MGM Grand Garden Arena in Las Vegas and also at the Staples Center in Los Angeles. Uh, first, wanted to focus on what happened at the MGM Grand Garden Arena in Las Vegas as you had Devin the Dream Haney go over against uh, Joseph Jojo Diaz Jr. for the WBC lightweight title. Uh, you had, of course, the Dream uh, there at 26 and 0 defending the WBC lightweight title against Joseph Diaz, uh, who was coming in there to get a world title in another uh, weight class. Of course, you know, he had a world title uh, at the super featherweight division, uh, challenged Gary Russell Jr. for the WBC featherweight title, but fell short. But he was able to move up, like I said, to super featherweight, winning a super featherweight title, then ended up moving to uh, lightweight, uh, earlier this year, he scored, you know, a win over Javier Fortuna to put him in a position to either, you know, challenge uh, Ryan Garcia uh, this year or, you know, go after this thing here for the WBC lightweight title. Originally, he was slated to face Ryan Garcia 
in like a final eliminator of sorts for the WBC belt that Devin Haney holds. But, you know, Ryan Garcia, you know, had his, you know, issues, mental issues or whatever it is. And so that pretty much left Jojo Diaz without a fight. Devin Haney said, hey, what's up? What's going on? What's happening? What's up? Got the trunk. No, I'm just kidding. Um, he he went ahead and he offered uh, Jojo Diaz a shot at the WBC lightweight talent. Jojo Diaz took that particular challenge. And so um, you had Devin Haney uh, there, you know, going off the you know, momentum of his win earlier this year against Jorge Linares. Uh, you know, a few people thought that he had a fairly good performance. Uh, there were some that kind of like criticized him at the tail end of the fight where he did get uh, caught with a good right hand at the end of the 10th round and then, you know, kind of like got his way through those last two rounds trying to clinch uh, Jorge Linares, uh, but, you know, didn't necessarily do a good job of that, uh, according to some people. But he wanted to, you know, go ahead in this particular uh, bout here against Joe Joe Diaz and, you know, have a more impressive performance uh, here against uh, Diaz. Uh, and the thing about it is, is you had uh, Jojo Diaz there as a, you know, shorter fighter, you know, coming up there against Devin Haney. Devin Haney, 5'8", you know, pretty, you know, tall there for the lightweight division with a 71-inch, you know, reach. Uh, kind of had like about, you know, what, a 7-inch, seven seven inch and 9-inch reach advantage uh, from his uh, – you know, um, armpit and end of the fist in comparison to Jojo Diaz. So, you know, we were looking to see if uh, Devin Haney was going to utilize that to his advantage. And early on, he did that. You know, starting off in the first round, you had Jojo Diaz, you know, coming forward towards Devin Haney uh, with a high guard. And Devin Haney kind of like countered that by, you know, uh, boxing off his back foot, using uh, his left hand, you know, for either the jab or to, kind of like keep uh, Joseph Diaz at bay and either he would throw the jab and then follow with the right hand to the body or he would just leave that left hand out to you know push away Jojo Diaz and then just come into the body hit him with that right hand and just continue to score continue to score with Jojo Diaz his you know style about getting to the inside working the body then going upstairs later on that was his uh, plan here in this fight against Devin Haney. Um, but it did take him a good amount of time for that to happen. Uh, while, you know, Devin Haney just picked off or, you know, picked each of the spots or the openings that were available to him for him to throw punches. So, you know, he was kind of like, you know, fairly efficient in throwing the shots that he did throw against Jojo Diaz particularly in those first few rounds, you really didn't see uh, much activity coming from Jojo Diaz until he really got close to Devin Haney. Um, he was trying to get Devin Haney to the ropes. And once he got him to the ropes, then he, you know, unloaded on his offense as far as like trying to, you know, get himself uh, up there and going uh, to try to get back into the fight. Um, you know, but for me, I mean, I felt like he kind of like executed um the uh, game plan uh to the point where he wanted to try to wear Devin Haney down and in some instances it was working for him he was kind of scoring punches to the body uh and then uh landed the left hand upstairs uh but 
I, it didn't look like he was uh, very active uh, as far as like throwing the amount of punches uh, in comparison to Devin Haney. But the show, uh, the, 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 the punch stats kind of like seemed like it was almost nearly even uh, through about eight rounds or so um, there with Devin Haney and Jojo Diaz. But, you know, I, I just seen like Devin Haney be calm, you know, cool, collected in, 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 in uh, most instances. Uh, but there were times where he did, you know, end up making mistakes, leaving himself open to the left hand, not, you know, uh, keeping his right hand up uh, there for uh, Diaz to come over the top with the left hand. Uh, but it wasn't anything to where, you know, you really seen Devin Haney in that much trouble. Uh, so you, he went through, you know, those uh, 12 rounds, like I said, with the approach of, you know, just keeping the distance, uh, making sure that Jojo Diaz didn't get to the inside that often to really affect him. And, you know, he ended up getting that unanimous decision, two scores of 117-111, one score of 116-112 to, you know, retain that WBC lightweight title. Um, You know, and and I feel like, you know, he kind of like did what he needed to do in order to, you know, um, get the win, get the job done, uh, and 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 kind of like say, okay, this is what I'm able to do. I'm able to use my boxing skill, um, you know, my uh, you know ability to get myself out of trouble at times, um, and, and kind of like you know, just say that I'm good enough to you know face uh, a lot of these guys here in the lightweight division. Uh, some may have, uh, you know, criticized the way that he kind of like went about the middle to late rounds as far as like leaving openings for Jojo Diaz, uh, where you kind of like seem to get caught with those left hands, as mentioned before. And, you know, times where he, you know, got himself tied up uh, where he could have just, you know, unloaded while he had enough spacing uh, to really uh, put a hurting on. Uh, Jojo Diaz, you know, even though Jojo Diaz has, you know, the um, not just the pro experience, but the amateur experience, of course, you know, being there, uh, what is it, Olympic team, uh, great amateur career, uh, then going from amateur to the pros, uh, building up a, uh, you know, great record up until, you know, he faced uh, Gary Russell Jr. And up to that point, that was his lone loss uh, in his professional career. So, uh, this was, you know, slated as a fairly good challenge there for Devin Haney. Uh, but, you know, there were a few things there that, you know, some may think that he needed to work on uh, in, in this particular uh, instance. So uh, I, I kind of like seeing that uh, he did fairly well. Um, you know, maybe, you know, he uh, had like some some adjustments that, he could have made that he didn't quite make. Um, and the thing about it is, is that he'll, he'll learn over time. You know, I think that he'll learn over time uh, that he, he, he'll he uh, need to, you know, adjust as far as like how, uh, especially with, uh, you know, Jojo Diaz being a southpaw, like how he would, you know, fight, you know, against a southpaw, particularly against uh, one other fighter that we will be mentioning later here in this particular podcast uh, that 
you know, he he has to, you know, kind of like watch out for things when you're dealing with southpaws, um, especially when, you know, they try to set up for the left hand to connect on them. And, you know, for me, I, I just feel like, you know, he has to, you know, keep that right hand up in order to, you know, nullify uh, most of what that left hand, uh, you know, is there to bring. Now, he was able to do that to a certain extent against Jojo Diaz, but, you know, there's like a couple or I would say one particular fighter uh, that is a southpaw that's uh, pretty fast, to say the least. Um, but I don't think that particular uh, fight would happen anytime soon as after what happened on uh, Saturday uh, went down, Devin Haney was talking about being the WBC lightweight champion. Of course, we know about what happened in the previous week uh, there with George Cambosos Jr. defeating Teofimo Lopez for the unified lightweight titles. Uh, that that topic came up uh, for Devin Haney, and he said, you know what, let's do it. Like I'm willing to you know, go to Australia to do it next, uh, to have, you know, the real undisputed, you know, happen. You know, um, thing about it is, it's like all that time that, you know, you had Teofimo Lopez and Devin Haney talking back and forth, chatting back and forth, you know, um, uh, you know, uh, talking trash as far as like, okay, who would be, you know, out there as far as like who would – kind of like stand out as that top uh, lightweight. Well, it, it was just a matter of which fighter could handle their business first. We, just, we saw that Teofimo Lopez was not able to handle his business against George Cambosas, but Devin Haney was able to handle his business against Jojo Diaz. And now with George Cambosas, you know, he's had his, you know, American tour after becoming the unified lightweight champion. He was there in attendance at the MGM Grand. Uh, and, you know, him and his uh, father, George Cambosa Sr., I think along with Peter Kahn, uh, the manager uh, for George Cambosas. Of course, you know, you have the uh, promoter there, uh, Lou DeBella, as well, that uh, is involved with George Cambosas. They're trying to, you know, position themselves to see what would be next for Cambosas uh, in 2022. Devin Haney trying to you know put his name in the hat as far as like him being next do we know if you know um Devin Haney would be able to you know go to Australia to fight George Cambosas next who knows uh you have the travel restrictions there over in Australia where you know anybody that comes outside of Australia has a mandatory two-week quarantine um so if any fighter was, uh, you know, planning on going over there, you would be locked down for like two weeks. And that really can't work as far as like, you know, having proper preparation uh, for a fight, especially a fight of this magnitude against George Cambosis. So if the uh, travel restrictions get, you know, um, uh, minimized a little bit, have more leniency, then maybe we could have a fight between Devin Haney and George Cambosas Jr. Uh, there for the undisputed lightweight titles. Um, the other thing was, is that, you know, we kind of like seen, you know, the interaction between uh, Devin Haney 
and his head trainer, his father, Bill Haney. Uh, there were a couple of things that, you know, Bill Haney was teaching them or telling them in between rounds. You know, maybe they, you know, interpreted well, maybe they didn't. But, you know, the buzz was like, you know, uh, maybe uh, Bill might have to kind of like tone things down a little bit, especially when you have uh, Mickey Bay as one of the assistants and you have Ben Davison as your chief second that, you know, maybe uh, Devin could learn a little bit more under the tutelage of a Ben Davison, having like a Ben Davison be like his full-time head trainer or something like that, and then have, you know, Bill Haney be more of like a manager or something like that. There, like, I, I heard that, it, you know, Bill Haney kind of like tries to ease himself back a little bit when it comes to the dealings for Devin Haney, but as far as like in the ring, that is yet to be seen, um, you know. So, you know, with with Devin Haney, man, I, I mean, I, I think that you know some people feel like he could be the one that stands out as the top lightweight. Um, but you know, he did have this uh, particular fight here against Jojo Diaz. He did have his fight against Jorge Linares. Uh, those were you know two fights there that were kind of like two different styles a little bit. You had, you know, Jorge Linares that's very efficient in uh, his punches, um, does, you know, know a lot of things. He's been in been in the ring for a long time, long time veteran. Uh, but you also have Jojo Diaz that's had a lot of fights. Uh, they're in the professional level and also in the amateur level as well. Uh, so it gave, you know, uh, Devin Haney a couple of uh, learning experiences uh, to a certain extent um, that, you know, it might, you know, help him out here in the long run, uh, particularly in 2022, where hopefully uh, we build on the momentum of the amount of fights that we've had at 135 pounds uh, to like kind of like build on having more big fights or bigger, better fights at 135 pounds uh, there. So, you know, with Devin Haney uh, getting this win over Jojo Diaz, uh, he moves to 27 and 0 uh, with uh, 15 knockouts on his record. But uh, he gets that decision win over Jojo Diaz. Jojo Diaz falls to 32 wins, two losses, and one draw. So, uh, like I said, uh, Devin Haney's like looking forward to trying to get himself in the in the mix. Uh, there at the top of the lightweight division, maybe uh, with the fight against George Cambosis, uh, if they're able to, you know, arrange to have it in Australia or, you know, they might have it in uh, Las Vegas or or something like that. So uh, it remains to be seen how, how that's going to go down. Uh, also, you know, part of that uh, fight card that was at the MGM Grand Garden Arena, you had Montana Love get a third-round stoppage victory over Carlos Diaz. That was, like, you know, his first fight uh, there under uh, the Matchroom Boxing banner. He is now 17-0-1. You also had a Caskilla, the Caskilla uh, take on Candy Wyatt. Candy Wyatt uh, was there as a, um, a replacement opponent. Um, but Jessica McCaskill handled her business, was able to defend her undisputed welterweight titles. Uh, and uh, get a TKO victory over Candy White. It was, I'm telling you, if you ain't seen that fight, and like 
Jessica McCaskill was lighting Candy White up with, with a lot of punches uh, there. I, I was kind of like surprised that it took like seven rounds for uh, the referee to step in uh, to have that uh, fight stop. But that was the you know business of it. And, you know, Jessica McCaskill, you know, defending those undisputed uh, welterweight titles. Uh, maybe there's uh, a few uh, big fights uh, out there for her in 2022 uh that remains to be seen whether you know um fighters uh, move up from uh super lightweight or lightweight uh to challenger uh there at 147 pounds uh know that um you have uh Chantel Cameron versus Callie Race I think that's uh for the undisputed uh world title at 140 and at 135 you have an undisputed champion uh there uh with Katie Taylor, uh, that, you know, has a fight coming up, uh, who, you know, may end up fighting, uh, you know, um, Amanda Serrano in 2022, but after all that sorted out, you might have, uh, the winners of those respective fights fighting each other. And you might have, you know, a whole new pound for pound discussion, uh, there in women's boxing. So that also remains to be seen in 2022. Um, you also have Philip Hergovich uh, get a third-round TKO win over Amir Amanovic. Yeah, uh, Hergovich, you know, beat him up, uh, you know, in, in the second round. Uh, had him uh, down to one knee twice at round two, and then another one where he went down to one knee in round three, and that was it for, you know, Amir Amanovic. Amo Williams got a second-round TKO victory over Cortavius Cash. Uh, Emma Williams um, is now nine to zero. Cortavius Cash falls to fourteen and three. Um, and you had, you know, likes of uh, Amari Jones, uh, you know, who was a protege of Devin Haney. Uh, he was able to get a TKO victory in this fight card as well. So uh, you had a whole lot of action there that was at the MGM Grand Garden Arena in Las Vegas, headlined by Devin Haney's win over JoJo Diaz to. Uh, retain the WBC lightweight title. Um, you got to see if he'll be able to, you know, get back at it uh, next year, potentially against George Cambosis. But if not, then hmm, there might be a couple of other uh, fights that could be possible for him uh, there in 2022. But Devin Haney is like really looking for, you know, that one fight against a top five fighter uh, there in the lightweight division uh, that would kind of like, you know, define him as the guy that's at the top uh, there at 135 pounds, you know. But, you know, on the flip side, uh, you do have uh, the thing where you're at the Staples Center in Los Angeles, Showtime pay-per-view event, headlined by, uh, one of the uh, biggest stars in the sport of boxing, Gravante Tank Davis, uh, defending the um, WBA regular version of the 135-pound title uh, there against Isak Cruz Gonzalez. Uh, with uh, Isak Cruz uh, there as a, another top 10 lightweight, um, came into this bout uh, with a record of 22 wins, one loss, and one draw. Uh, had written a, a, a 
long streak of victories uh, since his last loss was back in 2016 uh, over in Mexico City. But he's had a string of victories uh, there over in Mexico for a long time, then uh, scored wins, you know, over in uh, Brooklyn, Philadelphia, San Antonio. He was part of the undercard for uh, Tank Davis versus Leo Santa Cruz. He was part of that card. Uh, had wins over Jose Romero and Francisco Vargas this year uh, to set himself up uh, for a fight against Gavante Tank Davis, uh, where he ended up being a replacement over Rolando Romero uh, as Tank Davis was slated to face Rolando Romero. But uh, with the uh, legal issues that were uh, taking place with Rolando Romero, he was uh, scratched out of that bout and they entered in Isak Cruz. Tank Davis had his fight over in the State Farm Arena in Atlanta against Mario Barrios. Ended up getting a stoppage victory in, in the 11th round. Um, you know, that was a very, uh, you know, high uh, action event there at the end of June of this year. And then, you know, he carried this momentum over to uh, this particular uh, date uh, that was yesterday over at the Staples Center in Los Angeles. And you had, you know, a lot of um, stars out there, you know, coming out. He had the Irvin Magic Johnson out there. You had Kevin Garnett out there. You had Paul Pierce out there. Um, you know, former champ Caleb Plant uh, was out there. Um, George Cambosis, uh, like I said, unified lightweight champion, uh, went from Las Vegas over to Los Angeles to watch this fight. Um, you had, you know, a few other uh, stars out there. Like I said, uh, they said Lil Dirk was out there, uh, you know, introducing uh, Gavante Tank Davis, or he was there with the ring walk. Um, so you had a good amount of stars uh, out there that were coming out to see this particular fight with Gavante Tank Davis and Isak Cruz. Um, you know, a lot of the fans uh, that did come in attendance pretty much was looking to see if Gavante Tank Davis would be able to keep his knockout streak alive. He did have, you know, um, 25 victories with 24 of those victories by way of knockout coming into this particular fight against Isak Cruz. But Isak Cruz was, you know, like I said, uh, uh, coming in there as a top 10 lightweight, had been uh, very fairly active uh, there in 2021, had two fights, you know, this year leading into this particular uh, bout. Uh, so uh, he was coming in there. He was ready. He had already, you know, been in camp, you know, slated to, you know, face another opponent outside of Tank Davis. But when he got the call that he would be Tank Davis's opponent, pretty much like, you know, changed his resume regimen to, you know, go after somebody like a Tank Davis. And in this uh, first, in the first round, he showed that he was not intimidated one bit by Tank Davis, went right at Tank pretty much from the get-go, going with the right hands, uh, with, with the uh, lunging right hands or right hooks, uh, like he was, um, you know, what is it, like a like a mini Tyson was what they, they were calling him, uh, you know, leading into this particular fight. Uh, he pretty much, you know, did the lunging, a right hook, 
you know, like a like a uh, you know, Mike Tyson um early. And the thing was you had Tank Davis, he pretty much had to make the adjustments. It was, you know, one of those weird times where Tank Davis was the taller fighter with the longer reach. So instead of, you know, being like uh more of an aggressor in, in this particular case, or you know, someone that, you know, stands stands in the pocket and, and throws his shots and gets his shots off. He was more fighting off the back foot, uh, deciphering what uh, Isak Cruz was doing and then reacting from that. So initially he, you know, weathered uh, the punches that were coming from Isak Cruz and then reacting to that, uh, countering with the left hand uh, over the top or the left uppercut, uh, also coming in with the right hook, you know, but also, you know, throwing in the jab a little bit. Uh, and that was kind of like his approach in this particular fight was to, you know, kind of like show his overall boxing skill that, you know, with him being the taller fighter with the longer reach that, you know, he could definitely gauge the spacing between him and Isak Cruz and that with Isak Cruz, if he wasn't able to, you know, set his uh, power shots up with a jab, then when he does go for the power shots that he would end up missing or that they would be blocked. And so you kind of like seeing that a lot uh, in those uh, first uh, few rounds was that um, Tank Davis was, you know, being precise with his punches, very efficient with his punches, and kind of like catching Isak Cruz a little bit uh, there with counter shots uh, when Isak Cruz was trying to come in. But Isak Cruz was scouting. It looked like he was scouting what Tank Davis was doing because you seen early on in the fight that Tank Davis was trying to catch Isak Cruz with the left uppercut counter, but Isak Cruz was ready for that, kind of like you know nullified the 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 power of that left uppercut for a little bit by Gavante Tank Davis, and that's why you kind of like seen him still coming forward, still coming at Tank Davis uh, there over the course of the fifth through the seventh rounds. Now, even though it looked like Tank Davis was, you know, racking rounds up and racking rounds up, you still saw Isak Cruz uh, still going in there, still sticking with his game plan of coming forward, trying to cut off the ring. And then once, once he was able to get Tank Davis to the ropes, then he would work the body. And then after, you know, Tank Davis would try to get himself off the ropes. Then you would see uh, Isak Cruz try to come upstairs uh, there with the right hand. Now, there were, you know, a couple of times where, you know, it seemed like, um, you know, Tank Davis tried to, you know, throw the punch to the body, uh, continue to throw punches to the body, and uh, also, you know, um, you know, try to, I would say utilize his strength uh, there against Isak Cruz. Uh, there were a couple of times where the referee uh, that was there, Thomas Taylor, kind of like, you know, gave Tank Davis, you know, a couple of warnings a little bit not to, you know, really push off uh, there against uh, Isak Cruz. But, you know, even with that, you, you saw that Isak Cruz uh, kind of got himself back into the fight mainly because of, you know, what happened with Kevontae Tank Davis. He had 
suffered an injury to his knuckles on his left hand. So, you know, over the course of the fight, you've seen that he couldn't really use that left hand that much, you know. And so, you know, with that being said, he had to make the adjustment as far as like trying to get himself around what Isak Cruz was doing, utilize the right jab a little bit more, try to use that as a defensive mechanism instead of an offensive mechanism and score points that way. Either try to throw the right jab or throw the right hook or go down to the body with the right. That was, you know, it, that ended up being like the, the strategy there for Tank Davis over the tail ends of this particular fight while he was trying to weather the storm of uh, Eastside Cruz that was, you know, coming, continuing to come at him, continuing to come at him, you know. Um, and, and, and with that being said, uh, after, you know, 12 rounds of action, I mean, we, we didn't see any knockdowns. It didn't seem like, you know, uh, either fighter was seriously hurt. Uh, but, you know, it got through with, with those uh, 12 rounds. And Carla Caiz and Max Luca scored about 115 to 113. And Zachary Young scored about 116 to 112, all in favor for Tank Davis for him to retain that WBA lightweight title. And he goes to 26 and 0 uh, with the 24 KOs. This Isak Cruz's second loss of his professional career, so he is now 22 wins, two losses, and one draw. Um, you know, I pretty much, you know, felt like it was a, a, a good, a good performance from both fighters. Good tactical performance from both fighters, as you kind of like seeing Tank Davis. Um, you know show like i said show an element that you know not many may have seen from him before uh that you know he could fight off the back foot he could you know gauge the distance against his opponent and then you know pick him off or counter while being on the back foot and not get himself in too much trouble when he gets to the ropes you know while you had on the flip side you had um Isak Cruz you know, kind of like, you know, do bob and weave a little bit to try to, you know, mess up the timing of Tank Davis. But I kind of like seeing that it, it happened for like a couple of times, but he wasn't very consistent with that. Um, and, and that might have been a factor, particularly in the first half of the fight, because I thought that uh, Tank Davis racked up a lot of rounds in that first half of the fight. Uh, pretty much like had the had the bout around that same range, around like one sixteen to one twelve. Uh, particularly because over the first seven rounds of the fight, I had Tank Davis winning five of those seven rounds. So, uh, you know, with that being said, I, I even gave you know him the advantage, uh, particularly in the last round, twelfth round, even when he only used his right hand in that particular round, he still was able to score better than Isak Cruz, you know, there. But, uh, you know, I, I kind of, like, feel like it was a, a very close fight. Uh, I know that some may, may uh, you know, criticize Tank Davis in, in this sense in that, you know, he wasn't able to score the knockout against uh, Isak Cruz. And, you know, people were, you know, saying, oh, this is a small, you know, small guy, Isak Cruz, you know, who is he? And, you know, those that were, you know, around this 
around this uh, fight and making this fight happen. And he pretty much said, look, Isak Cruz is a, is a uh, you know, top 10 lightweight. And he, he's been in the ring there. And, and like I said, like I was saying, he had those uh, string of victories, you know, consecutive victories that he was uh, having. And uh, that, you know, and that uh, he, you know, was building momentum with, with the fights that he was having. And he was fighting, you know, very actively. Like when you when you have a fight that was, you know, last October, uh, there in San Antonio, then have two fights after that. Uh, then, then you you pretty much uh, get yourself in a rhythm and and in a gear uh, that you know maybe you know other fighters might not have. In in, in comparison with uh, Tank Davis, where you have Tank Davis, like I said, one of the biggest stars in the sport of boxing. Um, you know, there as far as like you know being visible. Uh, to the eyes of the public in in in, in a sense uh, that, you know, maybe some people might think that he isn't necessarily focused on, you know, getting himself ready or getting himself uh, up for uh, this particular fight against Eastside Cruz. But if y'all seen leading into this fight, especially with the all access that's, that was on Showtime, that, you know, he got himself, you know, over in Fort Lauderdale, you know, uh, away from you know probably any much distractions that may happen around the Las Vegas area or in Baltimore. Even though you know he brought his you know team over from Baltimore down to the Fort Lauderdale area to get himself uh, comfortable and to get himself ready uh, to go there against uh, Isak Cruz. So uh, you know with that being said, he he kind of you know did have a very good performance. And it just looked like he kind of like studied the uh, the strategy of Isak Cruz and pretty much executed what he needed to execute, you know, up into the point of him uh, having a hand injury there to his left hand. And, you know, like he was saying after the fight, he, in, he heard about two knuckles uh, on his hand and uh, his coach Calvin Ford uh, said that, you know, it may be an MRI scheduled uh, there. So, uh, just looking to see uh, any updates on uh, the diagnosis uh, for uh, his uh, left hand because uh, that could, you know, affect the schedule uh, there of Gravante uh, Davis for 2022. Um, initially, going into this particular year, he planned on trying to get as much as three fights in for 2021. Uh, but that didn't necessarily happen. You had, like I said, the fight against Mario Barrios over the State Farm Arena in Atlanta in June, and then this particular fight here against Isai Cruz at Staples Center. Um, and, you know, we did trying to see, like, you know, what would be next for Tank Davis. Um, you know, he, he pretty much said uh, after, you know, the fight with Jim Gray and, over in a post-fight press conference that, hey, it's anybody to put in front of him. I know that there's, you know, potential um, matchups between uh, him and Devin Haney or him and George Cambosis or him and Ryan Garcia. And he pretty much told uh, Jim Gray, he said, all of them are easy work. All of them are easy work. I'm the top dog in the division. They're easy work. Uh, but 
you know, it just remains to be seen how, how that will, uh, you know, shape up. Uh, Leonard Ellaby has stated on multiple occasions that you got, you know, Tank Davis being uh, there at the 130 or 135 pound division, and that's where he's going to be for a long uh, while. So it, it's just going to be a matter of who's going to be out there for him to fight in 2022. Now, I want to bring in a guest to this particular episode of the Boxing Source Radio Show. You know him. I know him. The whole world knows him as the former president of the Deontay Wilder fan club. Maybe if Deontay Wilder gets back in the ring, he could reapply for the presidency of the Deontay Wilder fan club. Coming from the Boogie Down Bronx himself, it's MVO, Mr. Matthew Brown. What's good, partner? Hey, what's going on, JR, man? It, you know, when can I get back into my position as the president and CEO of the bomb squad? This is this is this is hurting me, JR. Well, for, first we have to get a confirmation that Deontay Wilder will get back in the ring and, and fight again. Well, which, he will. Yeah, I and, mean he will. He's gonna be better than ever. By the well, way. we're gonna see. I mean, he did injure. He did injure his hand, so we, we got to have him, you know, recover from that injury. And then once he gets back in the ring, he could, you know, get back in the ring there, uh, you know, and 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 then he may, you know, start his knockout streak once again. And then once that happens, maybe we could get you uh, back in position as the president of the Deontay Wilder fan club. Yeah, we need Fury Wilder four. I want one more shot, man. One more <laughs> shot. <laughs> oh man uh so davis versus cruz man um what what you think about uh both both fighters um i know that tank you know gave uh cruz a lot of credit pretty much said that they're starting to make it with Eastside cruz um and that you know the injury to his left hand pretty much affected his performance particularly in the second half of the fight yeah, but Tank beat him with one hand. People got to remember that when they talk about this fight. That man beat a top lightweight who's known for being a heavy hitter with one hand. So shout out to Tank Davis. Uh, he he did his thing, man. I, I, I know a lot of people were waiting to piss on him. They're hoping that they can start a narrative that this was a disappointing performance. But when you understand that Tank Davis like basically put on an exhibition of the sweet science. What 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 do you say uh the point of boxing is to hit and not get hit to not to stand in trade? Well, when the chips was on the line in that twelfth round, Tank looked like Floyd out there. And mm -hmm. I thought that was very impressive. I was happy to see that. I was happy to see Tank win a fight with his brain when his hand failed him. And I think that that's going to bode well for the future of Javante Tank Davis. Well, I, I mean, you, you did have Floyd Mayweather in the post-fight press conference, you know, tell the media out there, listen, the name of the game is to hit and not get hit. And I'm proud of Tank. You know, Tank, he went out there and, and he showed y'all the sweet sounds of boxing. Listen, I don't know what some of these judges, they got judges out there, 75, 80 years old. We need to get them out of the game. I don't know what they're looking at. Listen, listen, I, I'll be honest. 
if 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 Tank lost that fight, then I would tell y'all that Tank lost that fight. But he he put on a great show, and y'all appreciate him, and I'm sick of it. Yeah, they don't appreciate him. He's absolutely right because um, people always assume that he's just this one hit a quitter power puncher. That's it, knockout artist. But he showed different dimensions to his game. He showed that he is not only the most devastating puncher in the in the division. He's probably the best boxer in the division too. Yeah, I mean, I I, I kind of like felt that, like you were saying, he he gave like a couple of elements of him being like Floyd Mayweather in this uh, particular uh, bout. You know what I mean? Um, where yeah. he 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 showed like his range. He showed his efficiency as far as like throwing punches, uh, making sure that all of the punches counted. You know what I mean? Um, yeah, and he didn't get caught with nothing stupid. Right. That was you know, everybody thing. gets hit in boxing, but he didn't get caught with nothing stupid. He was so defensively sound. He's what people think, I guess, Devin Haney is. Because Devin Haney is supposed to be this awesome boxer, this guy who, who's like a great defensive fighter and all this stuff like that. But to me, this past weekend showed that it's really Tank who's the, the, the great boxer, the complete fighter. Even better than what people think Devin Haney is. Yeah, I know that, you know, leading up to uh, this weekend, you know, when I had the conversation with uh, Demarcus Corley and, you know, he, you know, recalled the uh, instance where he had a sparring session with Devin Haney when Haney was 15 years old and that, you know, he thought that Haney had uh, elements of a young Floyd Mayweather, you know, at that particular instance. But, uh, you know, here that that's that's what you know i kind of like seeing uh some glimpses of that you know uh from uh tank davis where you know he's able to pick off his opponents he's able to counter punch uh with with fairly good accuracy and you know it, it's not necessarily him being like a one hit a quitter but he kind of like you know accumulates his punches and throws combinations uh fairly well to the point where yeah uh, he he ends up hurting a lot of his opponents. It's just that in this particular instance with Isa Cruz, Cruz is a very good opponent and a very tough opponent. Um, I know that uh, I know that you had a comment about Isa Cruz immediately after the fight <laughs> when you're talking about how how tough his head is or something. <laughs> but <laughs> he got a fucking boulder on his shoulders, man. <laughs> Yeah, he took a he took a good amount of good shots uh, there, um, but like, what about you know how Tank like David said that like you know that maybe Eastside Cruz is like a you know next star in the making. I know that he's from you know Mexico City, Mexico. Uh, he's under uh, Manny Pacquiao promotions. We did see Sean Knucklehead Gibbons there with him. Um, you know, what about the momentum there for Isak Cruz? Uh, does this lead to, you know, um, some good fights for him in the future? Depends on who he fights next. You got to see what the next move is. I feel like um, the momentum for Mario Barrios has been stalled a little bit, you know? So yeah. it depends on how soon he gets back in the ring and mm -hmm. it depends on who he fights next. But if they put some money behind this kid, 
you have another star in the making. And who knows, down the line, you might see Cruz versus Davis too. Maybe if, you know, they could uh, build them up, build up, uh, you know, Eastside Cruz for a little bit. Um, if they could, you know, match him up uh, well. Uh, like I would love to see him fight JoJo. JoJo was talking shit. Well, jo- JoJo was, was calling out everybody after this particular fight. You know, <laughs> he, he also said, you know, he also said, fuck it. I'll fight a Ryan Garcia next, man. So, yeah. You know, it's it's up in the air, man. Uh, you know what I'm saying? Uh, with 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 uh, JoJo Diaz. I, I mean, I, I kind of like had an idea of who uh, Isak Cruz could potentially face, but I don't think that they would kind of like do that at this point. And that well, who, who are you thinking about? Michelle Rivera. Mm. Mm. I don't really like that matchup. You know, yeah, I, 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 I kind of like don't either. Uh, but you know, they, they do have like an embarrassment of riches at the lightweight division that yeah, could still be more of like a round robin of sorts. It doesn't necessarily have to be the top five or six, but it could be around below that, like seven to yeah. Know, but I feel 15. like Rivera's on the verge of a title shot if you look at the mess of the WBA situation, yeah, yeah. But we know with the WBA, what they they can't necessarily say, "Oh, we want to consolidate belts in the WBA." Yeah, that would be George Cambosis and Tank Davis. So, are they going to try to force the issue with that? That's um, a good question. I don't know. It might twenty 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 two might be big for the one hundred thirty five pound division, but it also could be a big mess for the one hundred thirty five pound division depending on how these uh, sanctioning bodies work their, um, you know, work their way into positioning fighters uh, for world title shots. Um, You know, I did talk about the thing there with uh, Devin Haney's win over Jojo Diaz and that he was saying, like, look, he's open to fighting George Cambosos Jr. next. Uh, It just depends on, you know, what the situation is in Australia and – uh, that, you know, if, if if that's good, then, yeah, he could go over there and fight George Cambosis and they could uh, have a fight for the undisputed uh, lightweight titles. Well, what we learned is that the situation in Australia is winding down, basically. Yeah. And starting December 13th, everything's going to be open to foreign travelers. Yeah, so that may be good news. Uh, there for Peter Kahn, uh, for Lou DiBella, and for George Cambosis Sr. for a potential matchup between George Cambosis and Devin Haney over there in Australia for the undisputed lightweight titles. Now, you know, with that being said, we still have, you know, some business to take care of uh, at 135 pounds. I know that we got, you know, Vasilomachenko versus uh, Richard Comey uh, there. Uh, that's coming up at uh, the theater at Madison Square Garden or whatnot. And, uh, you know, depending on what happens in that particular bout, you could have uh, Vasilomachenko trying to uh, be put in position to try to go after those titles. He is uh, there at the top spot for the WBC and WBO at this current juncture. So 
Deco's in here and he gets this win. He has wins over Nakatani, and then he would have a win over Richard Kome, who beat Jackson Mourinho's uh, earlier this year. A lot of action at 135, man. Um, yeah, uh, definitely so, a lot of action. But uh, Bob Arum, I guess, came out today and said that he wants to make Lomachenko versus uh, Shakur next. If Lomachenko wins. <laughs> Listen. I, I don't know I how would... much stock you put into that. You think he's bullshitting? Man, I think he, I think he's BSing with that. Like, uh, Bob Arum, uh, this is the same Bob Arum that could made Shakur Stevenson versus Oscar Valdez at 126 pounds and at 130 pounds and hasn't done it to this particular point. Well, uh, it seems like they prefer um, Navarrete to get that Oscar Valdez fight, which is stupid to me because – why would we want Navarrete to move up again already? Yeah, he only had like what one or two defenses of that 126 pound title. Yeah, um, and with him moving up and facing Oscar Valdez, it's pretty much the same situation. When Oscar Valdez was a WBO champ at 126, he moves up and then he faces you know Miguel Burchelt for the WBC 130-pound title, you know? They should just go ahead and make that fight between Valdez and Stevenson to unify titles at 130. We haven't had a unification bout at 130 in many years. (laughs) Like, I can't even remember last time we had a unified champ at 130 pounds. But, you know, we still have the action at 135, um, like I said, we got to see what's going to happen with the performance of, uh, you know, Vasilomachenko here against Richard Comey. Yeah. Uh, and, and see how that turns out. But, you know, like I said, I mean, a lot of, a lot of, you know, fighters there in the mix at 135, uh, that, you know, kind of like, like I said, man, I mean, I, I, to be honest, I can't remember like where you had so many fights in one particular division that, Involved like a bunch of guys that were around the top 10, top 15. Yeah. You know? So, you know, kudos to those uh, fighters there at 135 pounds for, you know, pretty much like saying, hey, we'll fight this guy, we'll fight that guy, we don't care, but, you know, we'll make it happen, you know? Um, going into, you know, last night's fights, um, <laughs> the, the co feature bout. <laughs> With uh, Sebastian Fundora and Sergio Garcia, with Sebastian Fundora uh, getting the unanimous decision win over Sergio Garcia, uh, that you know puts him in a position to potentially fight Erickson the Hammer Lubin in a final eliminator for the WBC Super Welterweight title. And um, man. Uh, we had a little bit of a disagreement when this potential matchup uh, was talked about. <laughs> well, for some reason, you think Lubin going to beat him. Yeah, I think so, man. Well, uh, I'm I, telling you right now, you're going to have to change his name from Erickson to Hammer Lubin to Erickson Get Hammer Lubin because Fundora going to beat the hell out of him. I don't know, man. Like, he... Like he kind of this, he kind of like shown a lot of openings there. I mean, I know that you know he's there like 
six foot seven and, and could probably dunk over everybody uh if you wanted to. Uh but man, Erickson Lubin has been, you know, working his way back up in the ranks after the first round knockout loss that he suffered there against uh Mel. So going up against, you know, uh you know, <laughs> what is it, Ishay Smith, uh Nate Gallimore, Terrell Gachet and uh, getting that knockout victory against Jason Rosario uh, over there in Atlanta in June, I think like he's he's saying like, look, I got this shot, man. I I gotta fight these like guys like time after time after time to try to get a world title shot again, and this could be it. This could be it for him, man. And one way or this another, depending on when it's scheduled, it could be for the vacant WBC. Uh, super welterweight title, depending Good. on when it is. It should be it for him. You know, like, listen, I've never been impressed by Lubin. I don't have anything against the kid. Uh, I guess Floyd was giving him big props when uh, they were talking. But I, I, I've never been impressed by him. To me, he is straight up and down. No special effects. Oh no! <laughs> oh, he is, man. No special effects. It's nothing, you know. It's nothing, you know. Excellent that he does. I mean, he does everything very well. But listen, he gonna get in there and he gonna perform. And I, I got him over Sebastian Fundor. Listen, I know that guy's six seven. I know, you know, he should be playing center for the Los Angeles Lakers. But he's in here boxing. I don't understand it. This guy's 154 pounds. He needs to be fighting at a heavyweight. He needs to be fighting wild at heavyweight. I don't know what's going on. Like, yo. Yeah, he got a uh I, I guess you know they're trying to build him as that 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 guy uh there 154 pounds, man. Um yeah. it looks like he's you know, I kinda like said that he was more of like a Navarrete as far as like his level of activity, uh get himself in the ring, uh fight multiple times. Uh, you know, over the past uh, couple of years. And so, you know, maybe, you know, the fights that he's had kind of like has built him up uh, to a certain extent uh, there to, you know, go go up against the likes of Erickson Lubin. So uh, when he does have this fight uh, coming up, depending on when it's scheduled, that he's like, hey, you know, maybe, you know, he's going to be ready for, for this particular moment, you know. Well, we'll I just, see. You know, I, I just thought that, you know, he would have um, kind of like had more uh, fluent. He, he would be more fluent in his combinations against Sergio Garcia. But but you know, Sergio Garcia has always been awkward. Yeah, yeah that's true. He has true. that herky-jerky motion like, like his uh, promoter, Sergio Martinez. Ooh, I'm just trying to figure out what you've seen from what you've seen from Lubin that makes you think. Well, it is, it is, it's not necessarily uh, more from Lubin. It's, it's more from like Sebastian Fondora where he leaves himself open to uh, big shots uh, there in that, you know, that could lead to, you know, him being in a world of hurt against uh, uh, someone like Eric Lubin uh, going over, you know, multiple rounds uh, there. So, you know, I, I, like, 
for me, Fedor would have to look work a little bit more on his defense to uh, get himself, um, you know, prepared for uh, Erickson Lupin. Uh, but you know, I, I don't think like you know he he's gonna like have like an offensive onslaught that'll you know overwhelm Lubin or something like that. He like, don't need that. All he needs is one shot. We've seen Lubin get taken out by 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 one shot. And I don't know, man. I I just think that like it it is like you said, man. It's make a break for Erickson Lubin. And yeah, I think we'll Erickson Lubin is aware of that and says, yo, I'm not going to let this kid beat me. So once he steps into the ring, then he's going to, you know, go all out and, and show that, you know, he does have the uh, skills in order to, you know, beat someone like uh, Sebastian yeah. Fundora. You know, I just feel like it's going to be a very good fight uh, there in, in, in that sense. Well, um, we'll see. Do you think the fight's going to actually happen? Because I saw um, Jake Donovan of Boxing Scene. He's a little skeptical that the fight is actually going to happen. Oh, man. I don't know, man. Like, you have to see about that because that should be... You know, that should be one one fight that, you know, people should, you know, kind of like wait for. I mean, depending on uh, what happens after February, you know what I'm saying? You know, I think that uh, that kind of like, you know, sets up, you know, what, what could be next uh, there in the 154-pound uh, division, you know? Yeah, I feel like... like um. Either the IBF or the WBO is next. I don't think the WBC is next in the rotation anyway. So uh, it's going to be the IBF because uh, that uh, was it, Murder Zaliev. Yeah. Uh, you know, was due. So, you know, they pretty much said, like, uh, you know, we could go ahead with this, uh, you know, rematch as long as the next, uh, you know, the next fight is against back on Murder yeah. Zaliev. So. Um, so there's that. So you have the uh, rematch there in February, and you know, depending on who wins, they would end up fighting Murder Zaliev uh, there if they want to stay at 154 pounds. Uh, but if not, if like Charlo win- Charlo wins and he ends up moving to 160, then you have all of those belts vacant. You know. Well, do you think the belts are gonna become fractured after? Uh, Charlo versus Castano because it doesn't seem like the WBO uh, wants to keep uh, Casa Zusan waiting for too long either. Yeah, I don't think they, yeah, they would want him waiting too long either. I don't think, you know, these guys are not necessarily acting like uh, uh, your boy um, Jaime Munguia uh, there at 160. Yeah. You know, um, they want to get some action on these uh you know belts so that's why i'm like seeing this to be a point where wow we see what happens with this rematch i mean people demanded the people are demanding the rematch so you know they're giving them that rematch uh there with jamel charlo and brian carlos castano and then after that you know they'll pretty much arrange what happens at 154 pounds uh in due time um below that fight you had 
Derevianchenko against Carlos Adames, where you know Adames ended up getting the win, uh, majority decision win, one score of 96-94, one score of 97-93, and then uh, one uh, even uh, there. So Carlos Adames uh, may be put in position to fight Jaime Munguia. Um, I don't know. Maybe he is. Maybe he isn't. You know, Munguia was talking about oh. Yeah, um, you know, uh, we're we're in negotiations to uh fight Sergey Derevianchenko next in a final eliminator for the WBC middleweight title, but now you got, you know, um, now you got Adamus there as a winner. And if I'm not mistaken, I think Jaime McGee was in the in attendance uh, there for this uh, particular fight card, so he probably was watching that fight. Yeah, he was in attendance. Yeah, and uh, he did see uh, Carlos Adames there. Um, you know, we kind of went over uh, this fight a little bit. You know, Adames was kind of like catching uh, Sergey Derevianchenko a few times with counter left hands and stuff like that. But near the end of the fight, it looked like he kind of slowed down a little bit. Yeah, I'm saying from like the sixth round on, he looked like he was struggling. Um I thought the fight could have went either way. I was surprised by the the 7-3 scorecard. But with close rounds, you know, if every round, close round goes to one guy, that's how you get that score. So I wasn't too um, upset about it. Um, I'm just curious as to what's next for the Revianchenko. We know what's next for Adam is he's either going to get Munguia or he's going to get that Charlo fight straight away. But the question is, is this the end of Sergi Derevchenko? Um, I mean, maybe it could be. I mean, even though, like, you know, he only's had 17 professional fights. Uh, but, you know, he's there at 36 years old, man. Uh, 36 years old at, at middleweight. Um, you know, with with uh, seventeen professional fights, uh, maybe you know there isn't uh, much uh, else out there for him, uh, particularly uh, there in the middleweight division. You know, um, yeah, he like, spent too long beating up them little elementary school kids, man. <laughs> That's what happens. I don't know, man. You know, maybe uh, you, you know, maybe they could. You know, still have him in the rankings, I guess, against uh, Juan Montiel or uh, Hugo Centeno. But, you know, maybe, you know, they, yeah, I don't know, man. I, I'll probably ask. Uh, hopefully, I could get uh, Lou DiBella, uh, you know, on the mic, and then I'll ask him about uh, Sergey Derevianchenko to see, you know, maybe what, what could be in store for him. Uh, because, yeah, he's been there around the uh you know floating around the 160 pound division uh contending for you know a world title he should have got that win over Gennady Golovkin to be the IBF uh middleweight champ but they didn't get it give it to him uh so you know with him falling short there uh falling short against uh Maul for the WBC belt and now having this loss to Carlos Adames it's more of like you know what 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 else can he do at this point at 160 pounds, you know? Um, uh, yeah, I, I just don't 
see what could be a uh, good uh, option there for him. You know what I mean? Maybe he should move up to 168. Because it seems like his punch resistance is going at 160. Maybe he's having uh, tougher weight cuts at this, this, this age. Yeah, that could be possible. Um, that could be possible. Uh, I know that, you know, his uh, wife and, and son were there in attendance for, for this fight. Um, you know, maybe they had a, you know, talk after this fight to see uh, what, you know, his direction would be. Uh, maybe Andre Rozier uh, has an idea of uh, what could be next for him. Um, but, yeah, it, it's just like, uh, you know, when, when you've already had your opportunities at the top of the division and you've fallen short multiple times, it, it, it's almost like there, you know, there isn't much else to go unless if you move up or you pretty much stuck there in the middle of the pack at the 160-pound division uh, there. So uh that kind of like uh covers uh most of the stuff uh there uh that we had in the fight card i know that uh mr matt doesn't care about uh, fighters in the super featherweight division so nah. we're not gonna go over that um nah. you did have a upset of sorts uh with vaughn alexander getting a split decision win over Luis Arias. who gives a damn <laughs> come on man <laughs> <laughs> so there was that. Uh Jalil Hackett. Baseball players. <laughs> oh my God. Jalil Hackett, shout out to Jalil Hackett, who you know did get a victory over Darren Leva uh there. So um you know we might get uh Major Hackett probably back on the mic here uh you know a little soon. So so there is that. Wanted to uh you know revisit the thing here with um Las Vegas, man. Looks like they had more JoJo Diaz fans than Devin Haney fans in Las Vegas. What was it, like 15 fans to 10? Come on, man. There wasn't a lot of fans there in general. Who cares? You know, I, I just think um, Mexicans are louder, and that's it. You know, they was cheering louder. I didn't feel like there was any walkers crowd there to the point where you could tell who had more fans. I just think, you know, being that the arena was so empty, it's like when they screamed, it was reverberating and echoing throughout the whole arena. You know? Oh, man. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the thing about it is that there, there's one, it's one thing to, you know, kind of like work with a fighter uh, that commands a lot. You know, for for their purses, but sometimes you gotta put the responsibility on the promoter and the the fighter themselves in order to make themselves uh, attractive uh, enough for people to see them. And so, it's, it's one thing, you know, like like uh, Leonard Ellaby said, um, you know, kudos to you know Devin Haney and, and DHP, you know, for commanding the money, but. As far as like you know, making these you know large scale fights, we know what your asking price is going to be, and right now at this point you're not really pulling it. So why would we try to make a fight that doesn't make financial sense? Yeah. So as far as like a potential fight between Devin Haney and Gravante Tank Davis, y'all, yeah, uh, there isn't much of a chance that you're going to see that. 
You yes. know what's funny about that, though? I've seen a yeah. lot of people compare it what other people said. Uh, Wait, hold on. Uh, train. Hold on, man. You're fading out. Uh, can you hear me now? Yeah. Uh, so basically, I found it. I found it um interesting that these guys were comparing uh what Leonard Ellaby says to what Bob Arum used to say about Terrence Crawford's potential opponents. But what people don't understand is that we know Devin Haney ain't really throwing a crap like that. But don't tell me that Terrence Crawford versus Keith Thurman or Terrence Crawford versus Sean Porter or Terrence Crawford versus Danny Garcia wasn't going to draw a decent crowd. Yeah. Yeah. And the thing about it is, is that, like, you know, the money, uh, I'm like, it would have made sense for, you know, uh, a Crawford and a Garcia or a Crawford versus a Thurman, you know, to to happen. And the thing about it is, in, in, in that particular instance, you know, going back to the thing there with Crawford and Porter is that it looked like they kind of intensely limited themselves for maximizing their profit by setting the price tag uh, for not just the purses, but for the tickets there for that particular fight. Like, if you want to, you know, have your fighter making money, if you want the company to make money off of the fighter, then you got to be able to create the demand big enough so that once you do have the fight and you do set the price that they still pay that money in order to see them. It's like with Canelo Alvarez, like you could go to Vegas, you could set those prices out there where nosebleeds are like 200 to $300, but people still go out and see them because it's Canelo Alvarez. It's, you know, the, most popular fighter in the sport of boxing is El Campeon, you know, pound for pound guy. And people go out there and they'll pay top dollar to see him. But you got to be able to put in the work so that that particular fighter, he gets himself to the point that people will pay top dollar to see him, you know. So it's like if I could, you know, in reference to that, just going off that, if you could make a comparison to what the ticket prices were for this fight between Crawford and Porter in comparison to Spence versus Porter. Let's see if those uh those ticket prices for Spence versus Porter were at a higher price point and then still got a higher gate than what Crawford versus Porter got. Yeah. You know? So I think that's what people miss about what Leonard Allardy was saying because they were like, oh, well, Tank is a draw anyway, so what does it matter? We know Tank could sell out arenas at a certain price point. All right. But what Leonard is saying is that as his opponent, he's able to draw stand also because we have a range of prices. Hold on. We have the to sell out the arena, but now we want to make a bigger gate than we normally do. Maybe yeah. we want to try to get a seven to eight. To ten million dollar gate now. Yeah, I mean it's like you know, like like we say with uh, Deontay Wilder, you know, like 
Deontay Wilder versus Bermond Severn is going to command a different price than Bermond Severn. I mean, uh, Deontay Wilder and Tyson Fury. It, it kind of like brings up the point that Fat Joe said. Yesterday's price exactly. is not today's price. Exactly. All right. So, in, in many cases, a lot of a lot of the you know fans, and sometimes you know you have some fighters that may slip up and and do things that may not make sense as far as like trying to make fights happen. But you know, there in that case with with the thing with Terence Crawford and potentially against Keith Thurman or uh, Errol Spence, and then here with the potential fight between Tank Davis and and uh, you know. Um, Devin Haney, you know, that might not make sense either. And actually, to a certain extent, even right now, a fight between Tank Davis and Ryan Garcia might not make sense because, yeah, both of those fighters are popular, but are they top dollar popular at this point? I don't think they're at their peak earning potential, but I do think the top of that fight is now because. I don't think Ryan's going to be in the game that long. Yeah. Yeah, he don't look like he's uh, really feeling, uh, you know, getting himself back into the game. Uh, <laughs> like he's completely motivated to get himself back in the game. So. Yeah, to me, yeah. he's either going to retire early or he's going to get clipped. And if he's going to get clipped, I'm sure Leonard Ellaby will offer to be Tank Davis to be the one that clip him. Because that's yeah. gonna do great business. I yep. did find it interesting that Leonard Allaby came out and stated today that uh, Mayweather Promotions has had preliminary discussions with Peter Khan, who represents George Cambosis, about making Cambosis versus Tank next. Yeah, I mean they 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 did talk a little bit in public. Uh, you know, with um, you know, Leonard Ellaby and and uh, Cambosa Senior and Peter Khan, uh, they talked to you know a little bit in public. They were you know very cordial, uh, in their dealings, and you know they probably you know chatted it up on, over the phone or through Zoom or something like that to you know try to make uh, that particular fight. Um, you know, but the thing about it is, it's like maybe there's an outside chance of having that happening because Cambosa's. You know, even though he has the status of unified lightweight champion, it's not necessarily big enough for him to kind of like command a high price to where he could, you know, fight in Las Vegas, you know, and y'all could have the fight in Las Vegas for, you know, good enough price point to where Tank makes his money, you know, Cambosis makes his money. And people still would want to see it just to see if, you know, Tank Davis could, you know, dethrone George Cambosis. Yeah, that would be pretty interesting. Um, and it would be a change of pace from where people, what people think Tank is interested in. Right. Um, I think Tank knows and understands that everybody at 135 is food for him. He ain't worried about nobody at 135. So he's just going to fight whoever could make the best deal, basically. Yeah. I'll put in, you know, I'll fight anybody they put in front of me, but 
Le Ryan, Cambosis, Haney, they're all easy work. Yeah. They're all easy work. You know. So that's kind of like how honest. I agree with him. <laughs> you know, that's kind of you know how he's approaching it. Um, you know, I think that it would be a good you know opportunity for Tank Davis to you know either take advantage of having one of those fights with one of those three guys. Um, you know, but like I said, man, the one hundred thirty five pound division is gonna you know gonna be hot. Yeah, and, and it's uh, sorting itself out. Yep, definitely is, definitely is. Um, you know, that, you know, that that's pretty much, uh, you know, most of the thing that I, I see, man. I mean, you got, you know, next week, Bas Lomachenko, like I said, Lomachenko is going up against Comey over in New York. Uh, you got a Dignity Health Sports Park, uh, you know, Nonito Donaire, and I know you don't really care about Nonito Donaire because, nope. <laughs> like, you I'll be it, honest, man. I didn't know he was fighting until you just mentioned it. Like, I don't think you would have probably really cared. Who's uh, He's fighting Ray Gabayo, man. Oh, man. I hope Gabayo beats his ass. <laughs> oh, man. And the bad part about it is, is that you got him fighting uh, Gabayo, and at the same day, you got John Rio Casemiro defending his title against Paul Butler. And, and everybody's, and then uh, Chicken Talk's favorite fighter, uh, Sonny Edwards, is going up against Jason Mama for the flyweight title that he's defending. So, <laughs> Aquaman. <laughs> yeah, man. Oh, wow. Jodo Carroll's on that card. Heck, dang. Oh, <laughs> oh. Jono Carroll, like, like he was somebody to care about. <laughs> <laughs> Oh gosh, what we got? Uh, we also got no. You talk about somebody that you probably don't really care about, unfortunately. Dimitri Bivol going up against Umar Salomov. Hey, uh, I like that matchup. Hey, I like that matchup. Hey, I think man. it's gonna be interesting. He he was the WBO mandatory, right? For Joe Smith. Oh, Salomov at one yeah. point he was, I think. He was the WBO mandatory for Joe Smith. So, you know, usually I don't care about uh, that, but these WBO mandatories have been pretty interesting lately. Yeah, but now, uh, you know, I don't know what's going to be, you know, going on there with that particular situation. Like, But, I mean, with Salomov going to, uh, uh, up there against Dimitri Baval and the situation with Joe Smith Jr. Uh, going on, um, Maybe some other thing could open up for, you know, that WBO because, you know, with um, with Smith, man, you know, he what is didn't he have like scheduling issues or whatnot? I mean, he no, got his he fight COVID. against Callum. Yeah, he had the COVID thing. So and now he, he has. Bad. They say he was real bad. Yeah. Like on a ventilator. Yeah. So he's still fighting. Well, yeah, I guess it was worse off than, damn, man, what you, you, you want an Uber or something, man? Like, oh, no, nah, no, nah, I'm outside. Oh, see, it's yeah, man. It's a little man. windy outside. It's a lot of, it's a lot of weather. Mother nature. <laughs> Mother nature, man. Yeah, man. Yeah, but, uh, Smith is uh, having his defense against Callum Johnson uh, over in Verona next uh, in uh, January. 
So, you know, he probably had that, still had that plan about him fighting uh, Daniel Jacobs or something. But no, they said that the plan. Oh God! Sure. Oh, who was the plan? It was, uh, it was Callum Johnson and some other bum. Oh my oh, God! No. <laughs> why, why am I drawing the blank? Not well. He already had the fight against what? Uh, there was someone that fought recently. I see. I think it's a Frank Warren guy. Anthony uh, Yard. Yeah, yeah. Anthony yeah, Yard. Since Anthony Yard beat uh, Brandon yes. Arthur. Yeah. Yeah. The plan was supposed to be Callum Johnson and then Anthony Yard. Yeah. So yeah, maybe uh, Anthony Yard will you know, try to go after that belt uh, there against Jill Smith Jr. But Yeah, um, Frank Jr. Warren claims that um, Aram already agreed to it, but Aram is not even really Joe Smith's promoter. Yeah, he's not. Yeah, he's not. You know. I don't know what's up with these dudes, man. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I don't know what's going on with them. They got to talk man. to the right people. These British people, man, they don't respect the Muhammad Ali act. <laughs> Yeah, I guess not, man. I guess not. Um, so yeah, that's the that's the whole uh light heavyweight situation there, man. But hey, don't forget we got uh better be a versus Brown in two weeks. Yeah, better be a brown. Uh can't wait for that. Yeah, uh <laughs> I need to see what Brown does with Derrick James as a trainer. Right. And that's uh, you know, over there in Canada. Um Yet another fight in Canada for Arthur Bitterbia. Yeah, um, well, you know, at least he's fighting. Yeah, it's hard enough oh. to get him to fight often. Uh, what is this? The 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 um, the, the uh, I think this is a final eliminator in the, uh, 154 WBA. You got Israel Majumov against Michelle Soro too. So that that's also uh on the on the 17th as well. So got a few things that they're trying to get themselves uh, sorted out uh, there in that 154-pound division. But, yeah, that that's kind of there. And, uh, yeah, I know that you're not interested in this uh, rematch between Joseph Parker and Derek Chisora. No. Really, like, it doesn't really move the needle in the heavyweight division. So you know, I'm not necessarily sure. But I can't get excited about Joseph Parker. So I think he's a bitch. Oh God! <laughs> I'm sorry, I do. Why the fuck are you out there hanging around Tyson Fury like a sidekick? You're supposed to be wanting to fuck him up. I don't like that, man. Bitch. <laughs> like a like a like a uh, not even like a tag team partner, man. Like yeah. hey, he's almost like a hype man or something. Oh my God! Yeah, fucking New Zealand flavor play. <laughs> Oh, jeez, man. So, uh, so yeah, he ain't even, you know, even if he gets this win over Derek Chisora, he ain't got to, it doesn't look like he may do much with it, man. Uh, he's going to have to, nah, he's going to, like you said, man, what, what, what did you say about Joseph Parker? He's a bitch. Tell <laughs> me before that, man. Oh, God. I can't get too excited about him, man. <laughs> oh, 
Man. It's always been something missing with him, man. Yeah. 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 And he hasn't necessarily uh fix it up to this particular point but yeah yeah that that's that's kind of you know mostly uh what what i wanted to you know go through here in in this particular uh episode i know that we got this uh jake paul thing that recently happened uh did you know talk with uh or get a question in with jake paul um but that was in reference to you know him uh working with most valuable promotions and you know trying to get these fights going uh here with you know, these other boxers and, you know, also work with, you know, Amanda Serrano to try to set up Amanda Serrano versus Katie Taylor for, you know, the undisputed lightweight titles. You got Serrano moving up in weight to lightweight here in this particular instance, fighting Miriam Gutierrez, who's a former world title challenger. So you got to see uh, how she does. <laughs> of course, you don't care about that. Goddamn women fighting. Oh no! See, listen, man. We ain't gonna try to get canceled. Listen, the only time I want to see women fighting is if it's over me. Okay, that's it. (laughs) What, man? (laughs) (laughs) I mean, hey, it is what it is. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, man, that would be part of the fight card with. With Jake Paul and Tyron Woodley, it's gonna be a rematch, man. Oh, geez, in a couple of weeks. Oh man, but uh, that that's that's pretty much it for this version of the Boxing Source Radio Show, man. Uh pretty much gone gone over as much as we could uh, here within uh, now and thirty minutes. So, uh, thanks for uh, Matt jumping in on this particular episode. Like I say, point of bison is hitting. Not get hit, not to stand the trade. On that note, folks, I'm out. Have a good evening, everybody. Bomb squad, baby.